You're listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. On today's episode of the Hard Men Podcast, we are going to be talking about the Red Pill Movement. We're going to be talking about the original movement, some of its authors, and then we'll also talk about the sort of Christian Red Pill Movement as well. Hopefully it gives you some good resources and background so that you can delve deeply into the world of masculinity. Well, this is the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn. I'm joined today by Jesse Vandermolen. Jesse, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. Just so our viewers can get a better feel for who you are, uh, just tell us a little bit about your background, what you do. I've been a teacher for uh, the last five years. I teach college English classes in a Christian high school. Um, I've got some Latin students that I kind of shepherd along. Uh, so that's that's me. That's my career. I've also got a side business, a lawn mowing business that I, I started last year and it um, has just kind of taken off. Um, but I'm married um, and I have uh, four kids and the fifth one is on the way. I live in Iowa, Midwestern guy, born and raised here. And one of the things, Jesse, as we've talked, I've come to realize is that you read a lot of books. Like you're very well read. I read a lot and I have a huge audible library during the summer when I'm mowing I listen to probably 15 books a week um, about the fiction and nonfiction you know, C.S. Lewis I have pretty much everything that he wrote is in audible and so I, I listen to that um, all of it at least once a year uh, sometimes twice a year because one of my classes focuses on C.S. Lewis's writing uh, you know, like the Jack Reacher series I've, I've listened to that clear through probably 25 times that's awesome uh, today, Jesse, we're going to be talking about the Red Pill Movement. I am curious, when did you get into it? When did you start reading some of this material? I think I had heard of some of the, the blog before I had read Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Um, but really, it was, it was, what, three or four years ago when, when that book came out um, that I, I, read, I read Jordan Peterson's book and I started watching his lectures. And, um, you know, he's really kind of a purple pill guy, but um, so he's not quite all red pill. Um, he's, he's like red pill, uh, diet red pill, we'll call it that. And he, he, made, he made some of their ideas and, and even some biblical ideas uh, related to hierarchy and things like that and competence. Uh, he, he made those palatable um, for the masses. And, yeah, you know, there are so many young guys that look to him as kind of a father figure because he was, he was saying to them what they felt they needed, but they didn't have the... The, the mental framework to like articulate uh, what they were experiencing in life. And, and fundamentally what they were experiencing in life was that the world that we live in is not a world that's ordered by, by nature, uh, by created nature. Like things ought to be different than they are. And they feel that deeply. And, and as men, especially in a, an egalitarian feminist um, gynocentric society and culture, um, they, 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 they felt it deeply, um, and they were looking for for someone to speak out for them, speak on their behalf, I guess. Um, so it was really Jordan Peterson that kind of like clued me into that. There's this conversation being had, um, and then I, I don't know really where or how I ended up reading all of the actual Red Pill guys, um, but I, I ended up going to the in this to the Red Pill forum uh, on Reddit. There are a couple of different ones. They've been around for 10 or 15 years. Um, and the various blogs from the main, uh, I guess, writers, uh, main thinkers in the Red Pill movement 
uh, they, they each have their own blog, and they've, they've all been at this for a while. Um, but over the last few years, I, I, I've read just about everything that they've written. So there are three guys uh, were the main ones, um, Ruth, Rolo, and Royce. Uh, Ruth V, he's a really interesting guy. Um, he, 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 he became famous because he wrote these books um, called, uh, one was called Bang, one was called Day Bang, and then like Bang Norway or something like that. And so it was very crass. Um, how to basically how to get laid and he was writing all this stuff on, on how to travel and different things as far as culture and how women react to um, certain approaches and things like that and so very very crass and he has actually repented of all of that he's uh he's become uh, an orthodox christian now and uh, very wholesome and uh, he, he's banned basically from his blog i'll talk about um about game and, and, and the bang side of things. Um, so he's, he's really changed a lot. Um, and so Rolo, Rolo Tomasi, um, you can find his blog, the rational mail. Uh, he still writes there uh, frequently. He's working on his fourth book and all his first three books are on audible, but Rolo, he has the rational mail and he, he approaches things from, from an evolutionary psychology perspective. And so kind of like with Jordan Peterson, the way he talks about things when Christians read him, it, it, it kind of grates on your, your nerves and your sensibilities a little bit because he's going at things from a different angle. And yet, like Peterson, he's, he's hitting on a lot of truth because uh, he's looking at human nature and masculine nature and feminine nature, and he's trying to understand why things are the way they are. And so he's using a different like set of, you know, a, a different vocabulary than a Christian would coming from a biblical perspective. Um, but he, he's talking about the same things and he's finding out, I guess, talking about a lot of the same truth um, that these other guys uh, are, are finding and discovering. Royce's the other one at Chateau Hartiste is his blog. Um, I haven't really read him um, much at all. Another guy that Rolo really appreciates uh, he's a Christian, and I, I think he may be Southern Baptist. I, that's the sense that I get. His name's Dalrock, or at least that's his blog's name. Um, he does not write anymore. His, his blog is still up there. And uh, I should say, Rolo's fourth book is actually about Christianity and the red pill. He grew up Methodist, and he, he makes fun of how the liberal Methodist church was. And, um, and, and so he, he rejected liberal Christianity, um, but he's kind of embraced a conservative approach to um, at least human sexuality and things like that uh, in some ways. Um, but he's, uh, I don't know if he's kind of, he's kind of expressed that he's inching towards Christianity a little bit, um, but he, he's relying on Dalrock quite a bit to, uh, to write his book. Th those are the guys that were out there writing, you know, red pill stuff and they kind of invented the, the metaphor. The metaphor comes from a movie um the matrix uh but they kind of you know they were the first ones that took that metaphor for themselves and their own like increased awareness about the world that they were experiencing so i talk to a lot of people and i i've noticed this trend right where masculinity you have people coming into the church these young men they've been exposed to some of these authors uh or generally some of the content they come into the church and there's sort of a disconnect because the pastors, a lot of pastors have no idea what the Red Pill movement is. So if you're a pastor, like, how would you answer that question? A pastor asks you, what is the Red Pill movement? How, how would you define that? Men who are 
that, that have a nature that has been given to them by God, and they have certain drives and certain desires um, that they are not allowed to express or to fulfill in our society. And the, the red pill is really the moment where, um, like, like in the movie, where the guy reaches out and says, you can take the, the blue pill and wake up and everything will be uh, just as you want it to be. The, you know, that you won't realize the injustice and the, um, the lies that you're believing. Um, and you'll just go on and live a happy life believing all the lies. Or you can take the red pill and have a hard life, but actually understand the nature of things um, and understand the truth. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room, you can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. is the truth, nothing more. It's a bunch of guys having a bunch of different conversations. And uh, some of them have read all the conversations and they disagree with various parts. Um, each guy, each author has their own like focus. Um, you know, Rolo has training in evolutionary psychology, so that's the language that he uses. Uh, Roosh was a, um, a just a just out of college age kid that wanted to get banged, you know, wanted to have sex with as many women as possible. So he went at it from that perspective. Um, Dalrock was a committed Christian who was happily married with children. And he, he wanted to talk about it from the biblical perspective. So it's a huge conversation is really what the red pill movement is. Um, and so, you know, as Christians, as we approach these different authors, it's, it's important to uh, take them all with a grain of salt. Um, I would say that of all of them, Dalrock is definitely, he would be closest to my own way of approaching things. So it brings up an interesting question too, because one of the things I've seen in a lot of Christian camps is, you know, they'll talk about Jordan Peterson. They go, well, you don't need Jordan Peterson. We have wisdom literature, you know, and there's sort of this knee jerk reaction to shame guys who are interested in this. Um, and I, I can remember the first time I, I kind of 
as a pastor several years ago, I thought, oh, what's the big deal about this? And then I picked up Jordan Peterson and I thought, well, you know, it's actually quite helpful because they're willing to speak truth that a lot of people in the church aren't. And a lot of it is, is actually very, very basic things like men and women are different. And so kind of unpacking some of those issues. But what do you think that the response of the church should be to some of these authors? And you've kind of hinted at some of this where, you know, certainly discernment is part of it, right? And you really have to get at each guy. Like, um, so, so Dal Rock, I would pretty much endorse him uh, for the Christian wholeheartedly. Just like we, we have our own like Christian red pill movement that's happening right now, um, which includes like Aaron Red. Uh, Doug Wilson a little bit, Christopher Wiley, Michael Foster, Nontenent, you, um, all of you guys are having these conversations um, that are similar, but from a more biblical um, perspective. Uh, So I would, honestly, I would kind of say, you know, go go read Christopher Wiley's books, uh, Man of the House and uh, The War for the the Cosmos, um, related to the family. Uh, Michael Foster, go and read what he and Nan are doing at It's Good to Be a Man, uh, and then, you know, go read your blog. Um, so I would, I would send people there first, um, then probably to Dalrock, and then uh, and then I do think Rolo and Roosh, especially now, um, has some really helpful things to say. Uh, so yeah, obviously discernment always. One thing that I see a lot with Christians when they approach non-Christian thinkers um, is they they think that it's a tainted well, it's a tainted source. Um, this, this idea that you have to be a Christian before you can really know the truth about anything in the world. Um, and uh, there's a, a certain school of apologetics that often kind of like leans that way or, or implies that this is the case. Um, whereas really any man created in the, the image of the Logos by that, by the very fact that he is created in the image of the Logos and the Logos created nature um, by participation, we can know things about reality. Um, so even non-Christians can know things about reality, and even they can know know some things about reality better than I do as a Christian, and I can, I can learn from them, right? Um, you know, we read non-Christian scientists all the time because they've been studying it and they know it better than we do. Um, and they're knowing things about reality, and they can teach us about reality. Um, and uh, so we have to have a little bit of humility, I think, is a big part of it, um, and not um, just trying to pick apart uh, what they're saying. Um, another thing that kind of comes across in some of the writings, and I get this a little bit with, um, I'm not sure if you've read Vox Day, uh, but he wrote a book called Jordanetics where he like tries to deconstruct Jordan Peterson. And he, he finds every odd thing that Peterson has said and he interprets everything in the worst possible way so that he can destroy Jordan and the whole thing. Um, like he makes some good points. Um, and I do see some issues with Jordan um, after reading Vox uh, on that. But he, he comes across as, almost as if he's jealous that Jordan has made his, you know, tens of, you know, however many millions of dollars um, off of this book and his and this fame where Vox has been, you know, saying the same things and being kicked to the curb by mainstream media and society and everything. So it comes across just a little bit as jealousy. And I get that even with Christian uh, thinkers and authors, like they, they make fun of these other guys because they're not a Christian or because they um, really harp on this one aspect of things. Um, the other the other question I, I want to ask, and this is sort of in the positive direction, um, it, you take these guys and they kind of have different things that they contribute. Um, it's easy, especially I think if you're talking about Rouge, 
it's easy to look at that and say, okay, this this dude was a, a womanizer. This is sin. It's terrible. But I think as we're using discernment, you, you also have to recognize that they're pointing to real issues and real problems. And one of the real problems there is that in an egalitarian feministic society, men's sexuality has been neutered. And so, you know, you go to church and there's not really, you know, find a nice girl and, you know, just pray a lot together. You know, but then you read like Proverbs 5 and it's like, you know, be drunk with your wife's love. And so there is, right, there's a shortfall there that the church is not teaching on kind of the, the full dynamics of sexuality and relationships and dating. I mean, do you think that's true? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the uh, Even in, in Roosh's book, um, I think saying, I should say, is still out there. And even reading that where he's talking about how to womanize, he is hitting on the, the issues. Um, that, that you're talking about where um, we're told you just need to find a girl and love her well and um, provide for her and be gentle to her and you know then all of these women will just want to marry you and that's just not true um, one of the concepts that Rollo talks about quite a bit is hypergamy this this idea of hypergamy is that women always want to marry up they, they always want a higher status male um, both than like what their own status would be in the what they call the sexual marketplace, but they also want maybe a higher status male than what they have available to them. And he looks a lot at like war brides and how um, conquering armies will come in and, and kill the, the husbands. And those women are almost more than happy to like, you know, marry the conqueror because and he, he when he talks about it, he talks about it from evolutionary psychology. So he really talks about it like we need to preserve the species. We all have this innate drive to produce the best offspring and so he looks at it from the female perspective and he you know he says it's never like a conscious choice but they'll look at two guys and they'll say okay this guy's bigger and stronger and looks more healthy he's got better genetics i want better genetics for my my kids to pass that on um and there are other elements of status there are things like uh provisionary um ability uh you know so they'll look at a guy who is a you know works at a car wash for minimum wage and they'll look at a guy who's a lawyer and they'll say, I want the guy with the higher status as far as being able to provide for the offspring. And for, for women, we know that they are um, very much invested in their offspring, um, you know, biologically and, and time investment and all of those things. So we, we can see a lot of like, yeah, okay, this is like common sense. Um, this makes sense. And it's women that women do this, not, not uh, consciously. They don't sit down and say, oh, he has bigger muscles than him. Therefore, I'm going, you know, it's not really like that, um, at least not for most women. Roosh, one of the things that he talks about quite a bit is how do you play that game? And um, the game terminology might be offensive to some, but really what he's talking about is we see this in the Bible where um, a, a man finds a prospect for a wife and he pursues her and he wants to do things for her, provide for her, fight for her, you know, and, and that's what um, that's how God created us to be is to, um, to, to do that. And so it's, it's almost as if it, we're hunting our wife, you know, we're, we're on the hunt. We are um, trying to figure out how can we get her to like us. And for some of us, it's easy. So there's this aspect of pursuit or hunting for that, that good, godly wife. And uh, so he talks about different kinds of game that you can put on. And for the most part, all of the game that, that Roosh talks about is game where you are showing her basically that you're, you would be a step up from her current situation or whatever, dating you or marrying you. 
would be an improvement and probably the best improvement um, to her life that she can possibly do. And so then you look at that and, okay, I understand, there's, and they do it in some underhanded ways, like Roosh would talk about um, being insulting to a lady um, and showing her, kind of being a jerk to her because she will respond to think, wow, he's talking down to me. Maybe he's actually above me and using like psychological games like that, uh, which, you know, as a Christian, I wouldn't endorse any of that at all. But there, there is an aspect of that that's true. And so that's where I would go back to like Chris Wiley and um, Michael Foster and, uh, and your stuff where, where you talk about competence and Jordan Peterson talks about competence and especially as a dad, you know, I'm already married. I've already, um, I've already won that hunt. I think I married up uh, and she thinks she married up. So we're, we're, we're good on that. Um, but I want to pass on, I want to pass on to my, my sons competence. I, I want them to uh, be competent intellectually uh, with, you know, rhetoric. I want them to be competent um, to where they can make money and provide well. I want them to be physically competent. Um, I want to teach my son, you know, how to do things around the house, how to fix things. Um, you know, we lift weights together. We, we do these things. I want to teach him competence, actual, physical, real competence in the real world, um, which I think I, I, I say that because a lot of the competence that boys are learning today is related to video games um, or uh, even por pornography. That's not real competence. And this is one of the things that, interestingly, I think these, the non-Christian red pill manosphere guys, when they talk about porn, they are much more honest and realistic than when Christians talk about porn and the fight and, uh, against porn and why porn is so destructive. So a real quick example of that, when Christians talk about porn, it's usually just, oh, how dare you look at porn, you terrible man, you need to repent, you know, pray harder, um, read your Bible more, that kind of thing. But we don't deep into the actual problem that makes it such a terrifying prospect. And that's something that the Manosphere guys have done where they talk about, so what is pornography, you know, the act of porn watching and then masturbation? What is that really? Okay, so what does it mean to be a man? It means that you go out and you conquer something. Um, you, you go out and you win the basketball game. You go out and you chop the wood. You know, you build the house. You, you, you accomplish real things in the real world. And in a sense, you conquer a challenge. That's, that's, but, you know, Adam was put into the garden where he was facing kind of outward. He, he's, he had a role to play. He was to cultivate the world. He was to do things in the world. And so that's how we're made as men. So what you end up doing with pornography on a psychological level, you are not conquering anything. You are pretending to conquer something. Um, it's in it, but it's only digital, and you're not conquering anything, really. Um, and not only that, but you're, you are putting yourself in the, um, the lowest possible, like, rung in the hierarchy of manhood because you're actually enjoying watching someone else conquer. Just thinking of, of it in, term, in those terms um, has made the, the horror of the act of that sin um, all the more real for, for many guys where that then they they are, they are genuinely horrified of that because they realize the depth of the depravity of it and so they that has turned them away more than you need to pray more and feel bad well and it brings up a great point because i think one of the issues that's plagued christianity this is not necessarily new but is gnosticism and it's sort of this approach like you know again what you're getting at that well if you just pray more if you're just more spiritual 
Um, and even dating relationships are sort of seen through the lens of, again, you know, what's a good spouse? Well, she's super godly. She has amazing devotional quiet times. And we, we just miss the very basic proverbial wisdom of things like, well, she should be pretty or you should find her attractive. You know, very, very simple things. Um, and it's interesting in Proverbs because, right, it's from a father to a son. And so, like, that's the way as parents we should be talking to our kids. Just very earthy, earthy ways, very, very practical in terms of if you are diligent when you work, then you'll one day be a ruler. If you're lazy, you're going to work forced labor all your life. And it's going to suck. And if you follow follow the seductress, you will, you will experience ultimate defeat. You will go down to the pit, you know. So it's all hierarchical language, and it's all—it's um, not just a, a, like a glib, uh, resentful admission that hierarchies exist. But it's actually, yeah, hierarchies exist, and you should try to be on the top of as many as you can. Um, you know, in your in your specific situation. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's a great point. Um, one of the questions I have is, okay, so if you're somebody, you could be a pastor, you could be uh, sort of a man who's just hearing this and saying, okay, I'm, I'm interested, you pique my interest. Where would you kind of point people to start in terms of reading books with some of these authors or maybe some of it's online, but, but where would you point people? Probably the, the biggest red pill moment for me was reading Dow Rock when he talked about C.S. Lewis and uh, the idea of chivalry. If you just Google Dow Rock, and chivalry, it'll come up. Read his posts on that and just meditate on what he's really getting at because he, he really diagnoses what is wrong in um, complementarianism and the, the like soft complementarianism that we are getting from the church today um, and how different it is uh, from biblical patriarchy, biblical um, marriage, biblical sexuality. Uh, that would be, a, read, read Michael Foster and what they're doing at It's Good to Be a Man the masculinist newsletter from Aaron Wren. That is a newsletter that he was sending out just to email subscribers. He talks about these things from a Christian perspective, and he does really great work as far as bringing bringing in statistics, showing the way things really are. I think that's one of the biggest themes that has struck me that sort of floats around the red pill. Um, guys, like Aaron Wren, we'll talk about when I first heard it, right, so I grew up in this very complementarian background. Like, I grew up on John Piper and Wayne Grudem's book, and that was the way it was, you know, this complementarian theology. And I remember Aaron Wren saying that the servant leadership model is a lie. And I was like, what? How did You can't say that, because to me it was the air I breathed. That was, of course, that was the right thing. And what Aaron Wren talks about is Piper and Grudem, they frame man's mission like his mission is the woman and and this is exactly what you're talking about where you know my only goal in life is to serve my wife and to make her happy when in reality man was made to be on a mission and that mission is dominion and the wife is supposed to be his helpmeet his side by side helping him on the way to that this is what's interesting is i think that men who really do make their woman the mission like not only is the man miserable but the woman is miserable too and what she really wants is that grand adventure. You know, she wants the bigger adventure too, but, you know, for whatever reason, we just don't, we don't realize that. Yeah, and so I know, uh, just from personal experience and, and guys I know, if they neuter themselves in service to their wife and they, they neglect the mission, the outward mission of, you know, building the world um, that, that, and building culture that they've been given and they make their wife their, their goal and their mission, what ends up happening is not only does their um, 
<laughs> like their income fall apart and their career and their um, all the things that they could have been building and doing all that stuff falls apart um, and she loses respect for him because he's not doing what innately she knows he ought to be doing which is being out in the world and building and creating and and all of that so she loses respect and then what does she start to do she starts to uh to nag him a little bit shouldn't you be doing this and why didn't you do this and um and eventually it, you know nagging turns into brawling and um and then things really fall apart and and then at that point the man has a tough decision you know he he eventually gets red-pilled and he has a tough decision then do i try to change everything that we have thought our marriage was from the complementarian model of servant leadership to being assertive and actually saying how things are going to be or starting to be the man and say, actually, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start this business. I'm going to, uh, we're going to build this fence. We're going to plant these grapes, you know, whatever it is, um, where, where he starts to actually make some, some leading decisions. At that point, she, she's grown so distrustful over him not leading and not being out in the world building and just being at home, like trying to make her happy. She distrusts him. Um, so she, she assumes, you know, oh, he's just making it up. Oh, he's just trying to be, and this is the big thing. Oh, you're just trying to be masculine when you're not masculine at all. You're trying to make up for, you know, what you lack. And, uh, and a lot of times I think the guys are like, yeah, I've been wrong. And this is what repentance looks like. Right. And, and so it's hard, it's hard to be in that position where you realize you're wrong and you're changing and everyone thinks that you are, you're not really changing. You're just trying to trying to look like a man or something like that like you're not really a man um and we we see that phrase a lot man up right um man up and obey that woman is basically what that what that usually means yeah and i think that's a huge part of it is like let your actions speak for themselves because i i think there's even something effeminate about the whole like hey honey i just want you to know that i'm changing for you and for the better dude just shut up and go do it you know like be manly do it Make the changes, and if if you're effective, she'll notice. She'll see that. Look, God's called you to be this. You have to decide for yourself and then make those changes. Yeah. By nature, in their relation to each other, by nature, women are feminists. Like, that's just, like, built in. That's part of the equipment now with the fall. fall. Um, And, you know, part of her punishment is that her desire is going to be for her husband's authority and position. And uh, she, she, all women want that. And so that there's a natural thing there. So, so the question is, what are you doing um, to not necessarily like just accuse her of that and like tell her you need to change, you need to pray more about it, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, how are you actually leading, leading her um, to, to be more uh, submissive and, and to um, be, be more like Eve was supposed to have been and to, uh, you know, obey her husband rather than obey Satan. Um, and so, how do you comport yourself? How do you how do you treat her? How do you act around her? Um, if you act like the obedient servant leader, then she'll treat you probably like the obedient servant leader, and she'll hate it. <laughs> she'll hate you for it. Um, if you, but if you act like um, like Adam should have act, acted, and this is the question I always think about when I talk about this with with students or or whoever is okay. So what if Adam had not sinned? But Eve had, well, how would things be different now? I don't know, um, but I'm sure they would have been. But, you know, his response should have been to rebuke his wife gently and take her to God and say, you know, this is where we're at. <laughs> um, I didn't eat. She did. What do we do now? Uh, and and to, 
think of, think of the history, you know, of the world since then, if that would have happened. Um, and so think of your own history and your own family. If you ha will just say, okay, I'm just, I'm making this decision and I am, I'm going to be the man that I'm supposed to be. And, um, I'm not going to take the bait, <laughs> you know, bite the fruit. I'm not going to, um, to fall into that. And, uh, you know, the, the passages in the Bible, it's very clear that women have certain sins that they're prone to and men have certain sins that we're prone to. Um, we're, we're supposed to not, you know, provoke our children to wrath. Why? How, we're supposed to be gentle with our wives. Why? It's because we're nationally, naturally harder um, on people and on things um, than, than women are. Um, and as women are told, you know, nagging, brawling, um, correcting their husbands, using their words to attack their husbands. That's, that's what women tend to do. So it's part of their, na the nature It's their nature. Um, and, and so we have to understand those aspects of things and then start to play the game as the, the you know, the manosphere guys would say and play the game biblically, um, which is to say, don't submit to your wife. Um, when, when she is enticing you to do something that you, you know, you shouldn't be doing. Um, and which would be in like in general, just having a posture of following her lead and everything. Um, you know, and it, it, a lot of times we, it gets confusing because it's not like, oh, she, she didn't want me to sin when she wanted me to change jobs necessarily because the Bible doesn't say, oh no, you need to be a lawyer and not a janitor or whatever. Not nothing against janitors. I was one for three years uh, when I was deaf, but have a general posture where you are letting her call the shots or letting her lead the family and make those decisions. Um, at that point, I think you have, um, you have created the situation that is making things worse and has made things worse for yourself. Uh, so yeah, it really, really does come down to making that decision on your own to be what God has called you to be by your nature. Um, and the, the commands placed on you as a husband and as a father, um, take those seriously and just start to perform. Don't don't talk about it. Just just start to do it. Yeah, that's a great point. And kind of the last thing I want to ask you in terms of podcasts in general, um, where would you kind of point people um, if if they're more into listening? And in the Audible, obviously, is what you do as well. That's a good resource for the books. But in terms of podcast, Manosphere, anything in particular that you would recommend? Um, I do listen to Michael Foster. He has a good podcast going now. The Pugcast, that's more theology-based. It's not so much like just Red Pill, but the Theology Pugcast with uh, Chris Wiley and some of his friends um, is very good. And they, they talk about everything. Like, it's, it's theology, it's family, it's culture, it's, it's all these different things. Roosh has a couple of books on Audible that are uh, definitely worth listening to. Um, one is a short book that he wrote to women. Uh, but he wrote a book called Lady. Um, which is a book to young ladies and, and what it means to be a lady and what he's really what he's looking for in a lady now that he's past his, um, you know, his lust-filled days of his youth and he's moved on past the debauchery and he, he wants to find a wife and to marry. And the rational male, Rolo Tomasi, some people complain that he is a little bit long-winded. And yes, he is, but he's also worth listening to. Like I said, he's got three rational male books on audible and uh the fourth one i'm really looking forward to because he's going to address christianity and, and the red pill specifically yeah and that's been probably the biggest thing for me too is finding uh finding guys on facebook that are also reading this stuff and thinking about this stuff and that have the uh, the boldness to post something you know and, and get the, the pushback um from our feminized uh society i guess 
Uh, so yeah, building building friendships with guys is going to be part of it. Well, Jesse, I appreciate you joining me for the podcast. It's been really encouraging, enlightening, and uh, hopefully people who are listening, it's going to be encouraging for them. We've talked about a lot of resources, so hopefully those are very helpful. And some good follows on Twitter as well, whether that's Rolo Tomasi, you can follow Michael Foster at This Is Foster, or It's Good To Be A Man. And of course, you can follow me, Eric, E-R-I-C, underscore C-O-N-N. And that is on Twitter for all the latest and greatest from the Manosphere and our interactions with those ideas. If you have any questions about the resources or you're looking for more information, please contact myself uh, at one of my outlets. You can also do that on my website at ericcon.com, E-R-I-C-C-O-N-N.com. Thanks for listening to the Hard Man Podcast. And until next time, stay frosty. Fight the good fight, act like men.